0: I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance.
1: On average, our clients will go from severe depression and anxiety scores to mild depression and anxiety scores, and those benefits last for about six months or more. So it's all about a process of really trying to recognize that we're all constantly waking up from the stories we tell ourselves. Personal growth is a lifelong commitment. We see a lot of that. And sometimes people just need like a control alt delete. That is the process and that's lifelong and it's never going to stop. Uh, So having a coach to help keep you accountable, to give you words of encouragement, it's critical because you've made a lifelong decision by embarking on any of
0: That everyone is Ronan Levy. He's the chairman and CEO of a company called Field Trip, which provides both in-person and at-home ketamine therapy. Now, you may have known from earlier episodes that ketamine is a legal psychedelic that is used to help people deal with anxiety and depression, to help them basically unravel their narratives that are holding them back in their life. And if a Control-Alt-Delete sounds good to you, this might be an excellent solution. In this episode, we talk about the different services that they provide, we talk about why psychedelic therapy is so important for so many people, and we also destigmatize some of the assumptions that people make about diving into this type of therapy. As you know from past episodes, that I'm a huge advocate of this type of work because it can be done safely, securely, and it can radically change the direction of your life. By adjusting the trajectory of your life just slightly, by having an experience where you feel held where you feel calm, where you feel at peace, which so many of us are yearning for, especially if we don't get great sleep or we're stressed out at work. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode because this podcast is dedicated to solutions, tools, techniques, strategies that will help you live at a more optimal level in your life. You can find me at Real McCormick on Instagram. If you like this, please leave me a review. It would mean a lot if you gave me a five star and said something nice on whatever platform that you're listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Ronan Levy. And I'm here with Ronan Levy. He's the CEO of Field Trip. Ronan, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. So I want to start with a, a really broad question, which is what drew you to heal the world with psychedelics?
1: That is a good question. And one I'm trying to provide a more concise answer to Um but it goes a little something like this, which is there were a confluence of factors that led to me being here right now. The first is uh, I've always been somewhat contrarian. And so anytime someone says you can't do that, it really gets me excited to do that specific thing. Um, So that's part of my personality. I always cut against the grain. The best business advice I've ever received was when someone said, When everybody's running that way, you want to be running this way. And it's something that I've adopted my entire life. Um, So put that to the side. I grew up, I was pretty straight edged, not into drugs, not into drinking, discovered the joys of alcohol in university and certainly made up for lost time after that. Um practicing lawyer for a while, and then became an entrepreneur and just stumbled onto an opportunity uh, with the people who would eventually become the co-founders in Trip, actually, uh, to start something in the medical cannabis industry in Canada, uh, which had laws changing back in 2013, 2014. And while I wasn't a cannabis guy by any stretch of the imagination, I saw a great business opportunity. It's very rare you have the good fortune of seeing a black market industry worth billions and billions of dollars go from illegal too legal overnight and I'm like guys you'd be foolish to miss this opportunity even though I wasn't a drug person philosophically the war on drugs never made sense to me I didn't understand why we put people in jail for smoking pot seems like a great waste of a life and resources um, uh, even if this was just a legal way to get high I was cool with that um, and so we started a company called Canadian Cannabis Clinics grew to become the largest network of cannabis specialized medical clinics in Canada and lo and behold I discovered that cannabis is, in fact, at least for a lot of people. We dealt with some of the people who were struggling, had tried everything they could to deal with whatever health condition they had, uh, and came to cannabis as a last resort, and it changed their lives. In so many cases, it changed their lives, even if it didn't deal with their pain or their anxiety or whatever they came to our clinic for. We heard people who were like, yeah, it didn't serve what I needed it to, but it did help me sleep through the night and that changed everything for me. And so it was actually a really heartwarming, touching experience that really shifted my perspective of plant-based medicine. So we leave the cannabis industry and we just happened to have conversation about psychedelics. And this was back in 2018, right after Michael Pollan uh, had published How to Change Your Mind. MAPS had been given breakthrough therapy designation. Uh, and I just got this gut instinct of like, oh, this is happening. This is going to happen and it's going to be exciting. And having learned my lesson about... Um, doubting the efficacy of plant-based medicine in the cannabis industry. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm open-minded to it. So myself and our co-founders, we went out, we bought a gram of mushrooms each, tried it. And I was like, okay, I get it. And then the science totally backed it all up. And here we are now. Also I've had a long standing meditation practice and I know the impact that that experience has had on me. Um, and so if psychedelics could be the springboard for people exploring, exploring their spirituality, their emotionality, all of these things that I think are essential if humanity is going to turn the corner on you know the existential threats we've decided to impose upon ourselves. This seemed like a good ingredient to help us get there. So this also was part of the rationale for, uh, why I find myself in the psychedelics industry.
0: Nice. Yeah. I'm with you on the contrarian, you know, I, I love that. If everyone's running that way, run the opposite direction. Uh, Totally agree. Uh, You know, I want to kind of highlight and maybe drill down a little bit on this uh, illegal to legal overnight uh, sort of idea. And um, here in the states, things are moving very quickly. And obviously, ketamine. um, Listeners of this podcast are familiar. You know, we've done ketamine podcasts before and and talked uh, about the benefits and 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 some of the models that that other companies have used, but. Ketamine is obviously a an on ramp to, I think a a market as you as you will know to to explore other psychedelic substances and now things are shifting in Colorado and Oregon toward toward adoption of uh, of, of more broad or at least more than just ketamine, and, and so I'm curious, um, is is ketamine obviously ketamine's effective and we will go into the treatment and the process that you guys use with, with field trip, but is, is the, is the, the vision to include, you know, Rick Doblin's dream of clinics all over the world with, uh, you know, practitioners who are trained to trips and host and prescribe, or at least suggest, you know, lots of other different psychedelic compounds to help people heal.
1: Yes. Uh, In in a word, yes. If you go back to the origins of field trip, uh, um, after having that first conversation about psychedelics and doing that gram of mushrooms on our couch, um, I mentally, emotionally, and spiritually was committed to starting a business in the psychedelic space. But unlike cannabis, which was then legal, just about everything uh, in psychedelics was still illegal. So we're like, what the fuck do we do now? Um, you know, and so we spent a whole bunch of time trying to figure it out. And so first thing we stumbled on was about how classic psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and all of those drugs are perfectly not regulated in Jamaica. So you can do just about everything you want in Jamaica. So that's why we started our uh, partnership with the university of West Indies. It was really just to do something, start the ball rolling in the right direction At the same time, um, even though we weren't terribly interested in ketamine per se, we were hearing about how ketamine was being treated like a psychedelic uh, for mental health purposes and having just built a large network of cannabis-specialized medical clinics, like, oh, that actually fits really nicely within our skill set. It's something we can start doing now to start building the infrastructure towards a world where... MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, whatever the case may be, is legal, and then we have that infrastructure in place. So it's always been central to who Field Trip is and where we're going to anticipate uh, being able to provide access to all psychedelics that are are legal and and permitted. And and truthfully, philosophically, um, it's consistent with my perspective, which is the notion that MDMA-assisted therapy is only approved for, uh, post-traumatic stress is hogwash. You know, we all know it's hogwash that psilocybin is only going to be approved for depression. It's like, come on guys. Like I get it. It's the system that we're stuck in, but it's really starting to show the uh, absurdity of some aspects of the system for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, it takes, it takes audacious contrarians, who are organized and aligned with mission, with big hearts to to push the ball forward, and um, you got to be graceful and tactical, and in how you how you move that that progress forward. So my hat goes off to you because I, I share your vision. I, I I too believe that you know sooner than later, you know your auntie, your cousin is going to be. You know, turning to um, psychedelic substances to to heal trauma, to uh, deal with depression, anxiety, sleep, um, deal with you know um, uh, preparing for death. I think that 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 soon enough, it's going to there's going to be a massive shift. Well, let's maybe then back up a little bit and 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 tell us specifically sort of the process that that someone would go through if they were interested in exploring, working with, uh, with field trip, like maybe like soup to nuts. What's, what's the process look like for people?
1: I've never understood the expression soup to nuts. Do you know where it came from? It's one of those ones that people say and like, what a weird expression and and there's no context to it. Most other ones you can kind of figure out, but this (laughs) one is one I've never quite filled down on. It's
0: like you're going to like a 15 course dinner. They start with soup you go through the different uh, palate cleansers and main course and entrees. And then at the, after the very end of the meal with your espresso, you have a little bit of nuts.
1: Oh, is that where it came from? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay.
1: Uh, well, soup to nuts then um, starting with the soup. So just, despite my thoughtful disdain for some of the restrictions and procedures and systems that are set up in the medical context right now. We still respect that we have to work within them. And so the protocols we've developed at Field Trip, A, work really, really well. And we can talk about the results that we're generating, but we're really designed to be embraceable by the medical community, show that we're following a protocol on a procedure that fits within the medical paradigm that most physicians can understand because the best way to create the impact that we want to is by generating goodwill within the medical community and, and playing by their rules because that'll generate referrals. The more people we can get referred in, the more people we can treat the better the experiences, the more we start that ball rolling to a much more open, inclusive, system that embraces more work with psychedelic therapies but uh so that being said the protocol i talk about has been designed with that lens in mind it's not necessarily if we had complete carte blanche we would start with this process but that be that as it may what happens when a, a person comes to field trip is there's an initial consultation with one of our psychiatrists or a, a psychiatric nurse practitioner to make sure that ketamine-assisted therapy is both appropriate from a mental perspective, mental health perspective, as well as a physical health perspective. It sounds like you've talked about ketamine on this podcast before, but I, so I won't belabor it, but by and large, ketamine is quite safe in, in most instances. There are a few contraindications, but Pretty limited so uh, for many people will qualify for for our treatment. Once that happens, uh, and you sign up, you'll have a prep session one or two prep sessions. This is with our core in clinic program we actually have a couple of programs that I can talk about separately, but this is for our primary program which involves people coming to our field trip health centers. once you get approved and sign up, you have your preparation, your intake and preparation session with your therapist. Uh, that's a get-to-know-you thing. So your therapist who's with you through the duration of the experience understands who you are, your goals, anything you're bringing into your experiences. Really just good psychedelic hygiene when it comes to this kind of stuff to make sure that people going in who are supporting you know what to expect or at least can anticipate uh, any left or right turns that may come up during the experience. you have one prep session, maybe two. Uh, And then we'll book you in for your first ketamine experience. Unlike most ketamine locations, uh, which do ketamine infusions, we do ketamine intramuscular injections because we want people to have the most intense experience possible. We want it to be a peak experience. Uh, So with intramuscular, you know, once, once it's given, you're on the journey with, with IV, it can be a slow, steady drip, uh, which can be effective and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a different philosophical approach that we want you to have the most psychedelic experience. We want it to be as, insightful and, and, you know, akin to a psilocybin experience as possible. So that's why we do intramuscular injection. So you come in for your, your first session. There's a little bit of time to prep with your therapist nurse practitioner or nurse comes in, give you the, uh, the injection here in the experience for 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes. Typically, um, therapist is, is there checking on you regularly. You come out, there's about a half hour period to kind of unpack what happened, With the therapist. uh, So, any insights or awareness that you want to share before they sometimes flitter off into the ether, you can document and share. And then, typically, what we do is we do two ketamine sessions in the course of a week. And then, early the following week, you would have an integration session where there's no drugs, uh, just pure talk therapy, where the therapist is taking all the insights, awareness, feelings, emotions, all the stuff that came up, uh, and tries to turn that and the neuroplasticity that follows the experiences into real meaningful change so we typically use behavioral activation or motivational interviewing as a psychotherapeutic technique to help people actually turn the corner because it's not just about the emotional processing that happens that is absolutely critical but it's also about changing how you're living your life how you're interacting with people what you're doing that tends to support these experiences and and create long-lasting change Um, So I'll stop there, uh, but I'm happy to talk about the results that we're seeing as well. Oh, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll I'll conclude with uh, that module, which is two ketamine experiences plus one integration session. uh, We call a module and typically people will complete two to three of those in the course of four to six weeks. uh, And that's where we see the best results. Mm, Awesome.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. I love this stuff. It has made a major change in my life, in my metabolism, in my mood, in my ability to put on lean muscle mass and feel as powerful as I want to feel. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. You can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, "Holy cow, Sean, I tried this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do." I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is it's absolutely incredible it's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. Um, what in addition to the intake session where a therapist is, you know, identifying, you know, issues that are that are the driving factor for someone to 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 go down this journey. What what are sort of like baselines like um are, are there uh are there gestalt sort of assessments of where people are that sort of quantify mood or behavior like what how, what are what are some of the tools that are used to like establish that that baseline because i i know as a coach and and working and referring to therapists i know that, that, that sometimes it's tough to kind of really get a, a snapshot of where people are
1: Sure. So I'm not a physician. And so the extent of my knowledge on this subject is, is a little bit limited. But what we use uh, when we do intakes with clients uh, is the PHQ-9 uh, as well as the GAD-7. Um, so those are two pretty standardized measures of depression and anxiety. After each session, we'll readminister the PHQ-9 and the uh, GAD-7 as well as the MEQ, which is the mystical experience questionnaire, as a way to gauge. And so what we see using those metrics is, on average, our clients um, will go from severe depression and anxiety scores um, on, on those scales to mild depression and anxiety scores. And those benefits, on average, are last for about six months or more. So after four or six sessions, people see significant improvements lasting for multiple months afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so we do have an objective measure and I think we just released a, or published a preprint print of a study confirming exactly that, that six months on average is when we start to see people's scores start to climb up a little bit, but overall the improvements are substantial and long lasting. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I was always curious about that because uh, You know, obviously, I'm going to Google and other people can go research what those uh, what those questionnaires are and and how they're measured. But I I was always curious about, like, how do we how do we quantify where people are? So that's that's super helpful. So now maybe give us a a more broad perception of of the different ways, because there's the in clinic experience, but then you offer other uh, other services as well. Can you walk us through those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we just talked about the in-clinic experience, which is the most high touch points and and generates incredible results. But we realize A, that most of the people don't live near one of our nine locations across North America. Uh, And B, because it's such a high touch point, um, Experience it's it's not inexpensive. You know, a course of four to six treatments is anywhere from kind of forty five hundred to six thousand uh, dollars. So we launched a program recently called Freedom by Field Trip, which is an at home ketamine offering, but it's kind of a hybrid approach. So in this model. If you're interested, you'd be assessed again by a nurse practitioner to determine whether ketamine-assisted therapy is appropriate for you. Instead of coming into the clinic for your sessions, we would actually mail ketamine lozenges to you, and you could either self-administer those at home. You'd have to have a friend or family member present with you, or you can actually come into our clinic if you live close enough and do it in a group context. Um, And What this does is it enables a lot of both geographic freedom to reach more people as well as cost freedom because it is less expensive, about $3,600 for a year as opposed to about five dollars to $6,000 for a treatment. Um, so that's our freedom program. Um, it just launched about a month and a half mm-hmm. ago. So it's still early days, but the initial feedback is, is really positive. And, and I'm a big believer in it because through my own experiences um, over the course of last year, in addition to my work with Field Trip, I was actually making a documentary called Uh, Ordinary trip, although that may change. So we'll call it tentatively Mm -hmm. called ordinary trip. Uh, That was just a a deep dive into all the ordinary people uh, exploring psychedelics, right? Which is, you don't have to be a military veteran with totally crippling crippling PTSD. You don't have to be a Joe Rogan type. You don't have to be a hippie and you don't have to be a person who has severe, severe intractable depression to benefit from psychedelics. So our, our goal was to kind of examine that mushy middle. And uh, in that process, I discovered the power of group experiences that when you're in the midst of a psychedelic experience and, and your guard is down, your ego is down and you get to be witnessed and you get to be seen and accepted and loved with all the veneers blasted away, um, it is truly life-changing. It's a really life-changing experience. And, and so even though up until that point, I'd always been like, Yeah, one-on-one sounds much more suitable for me. I'm now a big believer that there's probably way more cathartic and therapeutic benefit from doing it in a group context than there is doing it one-on-one. And so that's also part of the beauty of the Freedom Program is like, yeah, you can do it at home. You can do it on your convenience. It's, It's really flexible in that way. But you can also do it in a group setting and share these experiences. And I think... In, in many ways, sometimes that piece is the most important part of the psychedelic experience: is that shared experience, that being witnessed. Um, so that's our freedom program. And just last week, actually, we launched um, what's called Field Trip Online Therapy. So it's not psychedelics, uh, but it is psychedelic informed general psychotherapy. So we take all the insights lessons that we've learned over the last few years uh, and turn them into training programs for therapists who can then offer therapy to people. Uh, And it has the benefit of our app. We have the field trip app, which has all sorts of non-pharmacological ways to induce non-ordinary states of consciousness, whether meditation or breath work or otherwise. Uh, so we can get people into different states and then use those different states, uh, to facilitate the therapy as well. So it's, I think it's a a really innovative and, and smart approach to general psychotherapy.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that for a lot of people who have considered psychedelics or who are interested or curious about it, or read you know Michael Pollan's book, but are just nervous about losing control, right? The disassociative sort of aspects of ketamine are just like a little spooky for them. To give them an on-ramp to experience an, an altered state of consciousness that doesn't include a chemical intervention. You know, I, I started a chain of float centers here in Seattle in 2012 and float tanks are oh. like perfect for easing into these non-normal states of consciousness so that you can see yourself in a new way so that you can have some have some time to, to expand your brain in an altered state in which anytime you can kind of pull the ripcord and step back from it, so I, I, I really appreciate that because that is going to give people some context for where they might go in, in a psychedelic journey, and whether it's holotropic breath work or, you know ecstatic dance or whatever flow tanks to, to be able to give people. Just a little taste of that, I think is really special, really important. Can, can we go back just a, a little bit to to uh, uh, the group work? Now, how, how is the group work facilitated? And and how is that organized? If someone's like, Yeah, I really want to do this with a group of people within the you know the the, the freedom offering, how does how how do they how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's um basically there's just time slots. Um so you, you can book yourself in for a t- Tuesday at seven p.m. session kind of thing. So it's not uh, you don't quite have the freedom to uh, coalesce all your friends and go book a session together. I mean, in theory, you could and take up all the slots available, but, uh, it really is just, it's, it's an open invitation, uh, to, to come and have an experience at a specific time and whoever else is there is whoever else is there. Hmm. Um, so that's how it works, uh, how it's facilitated. Um, you know, we have our therapist, We have our team there um, that operates the clinics, and and so they're overseeing the experience. Uh, generally, it relies more on the innate healing experience. So people people will self administer at the same time, but it's not a very Uh, proactive experience. It's really let everybody have their own experience. And then afterwards, everyone can share and talk and and start the integration process. As part of the freedom package, you also get to book um, one-on-one sessions with a therapist. So it's not just the group experience. You can actually take what happens in the group experience and and book it into or or translate that into a one-on-one therapy session as well. Uh, But then again, the, the name freedom is Uh, not just kitschy. It really is a program designed to be self-guided. We offer best practices. We make recommendations about how people should be doing and when people should be doing certain steps. But again, we we, we don't try to control it. We let people operate on their own
0: cadence. So does that suggest that you don't have like a playlist that lasts two hours that you're playing for people in that group experience or...
1: Uh, you know what? I don't actually know how it translates to that level of specificity. I imagine each therapist has their own playlist, but we also work with wave paths. Um, so there's probably some degree of, uh, you know, self-selection by the therapist as, as well as following our, our typical
0: practices. Yeah. It's interesting to me because uh, again, as a coach and, 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 and a, and a sitter um, as part of the, my coaching offering, you know, there's, some people like music. Some people don't like music. Some people don't know whether or not they prefer to have, you know, Dark Side of the Moon or the Beatles or whatever playing during, during or, or as part of their integration of the come down from the experience. But um, I'm always curious about that, and and I know that, and, and you're you're like tip of the spear here for figuring out like what what most people like, what most people don't like. I, I do want to get into sort of outcomes a little bit more deeply, but, but I want to take just a second to kind of share what what I think is, is, is sort of a missing piece of, of some of, some of the psychedelic therapy. And, and it, as a coach, of course, I, I always advocate for what are you going to do with this now? Right. And, And with therapy, it's oftentimes processing trauma, looking back, understanding what, where you've been that, that leads you to the place you're at now and what i what i hope will continue to permeate psychedelic therapy is is the coaching aspect. So now that you have this piece, now that you have this this you know potentially peak experience of your entire life, what do you want to do with it? What are you going to change? So it's very forward thinking. And and i think that there's an opportunity there for you know really skilled coaches to come in and who, who have a lot of experience, who, who also sit and say, okay, cool. Now you have this peace of mind. Now you have this ease. How is this going to change your relationships? How are you, what, what covenants are you going to make with yourself and agreements with yourself um, in your profession and your health and your spiritual journey that are going to keep you progressing forward? And, and I mean, I I feel really strongly about it because I think it's a missing piece um, in, in it. And I I don't know,
1: I don't know if you have thoughts, thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, I, I believe in the industry, people talk talk about integration therapy. Like it's a thing you do like physiotherapy, you go to your physiotherapist for your shoulder six, seven, eight times. It's better. You're good. And it's done. Right. And of course they leave you with all sorts of exercises that you probably don't do to try and maintain the strength, but Um, I believe integration is a lifelong practice, right? Like if you think about your, your life and I don't know if this is a video podcast or just, uh, audio, but if it's, uh, just audio, just like, imagine like my hands moving forward in a particular direction, and then something happens, you have one of these experiences and all of a sudden that slightly changes the course of your trajectory, just slightly, you know, maybe a one degree change, but with enough time, a one degree change is a very far away place from where you were going. Right. Um, and so it is fundamentally lifelong. The course of your life has changed forever uh, as a result of this. And it almost always in a positive way. Sometimes it can be challenging at first, but it's always positive. Um, and so that's a lifelong commitment you've kind of now embarked on. Now you can do whatever you want to try and scramble to back to be the on the path that you were. But again, your journey is now different. And, and so it's, it's constant work. It's constantly reflecting on. And it's con- constantly you know, going deeper into those relationships, confronting those fears, uh, understanding those anxieties, you know, putting yourself in situations that made you feel uncomfortable before that is that is the process. Mm. And that's lifelong, and it's never going to stop. Uh, So having a coach to help keep you accountable to give you words of encouragement, uh, whatever way you want to describe it, I I think it's it's critical, because you've made a lifelong decision by embarking on any of these therapies.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, a change, even a one degree change is a change. And we can, that's the one thing that we can expect in our lives is that things are going to change. You know, you're going to die. Things are going to yeah. change. Count on it. How do you, how do you prepare for that? How do you process that? How do you confront that when it, when, when it comes arrive? Um, so l- let's talk a little bit about outcomes. Um, you know, you've talked about that sort of six month pro- uh, period after, um, after the experiences that, uh, that, that last, and I, I'm I've got a couple of questions. One, how do you, um, wh- why do you think it's a six month period? Again, not a not a doctor, not a not a neurologist, but but I'm curious why you think it's six months, and and what do you hear from people anecdotally about how their lives changed afterward, and um, and do they see do they see this sort of work as something that they will revisit over time?
1: Yeah, um, I have no great insights into why six months. Um, to be quite honest, uh, maybe it's just because we're on the other side of the sun. If you believe in, in that kind of you know uh, astrological stuff, but I really don't know why it's six months. Because uh, for some people it's it's forever, and for some people it's going to be two months or a couple couple of weeks, whatever the case may be. This is just what we see that's the the median it's not the mean it's the median uh results that we see um and anecdotally what changes do we see you know it 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 really, it is always case specific. I, I liken psychedelics to kind of being like an elastic band, which is right after a psychedelic experience, you get stretched out as much as possible. Uh, and and you're right there. And all of a sudden you're going to make all these changes and you're quit, quit your job and you're going to leave your marriage and you're going to do all of these things that you've always meant to do. And then, you know, the elastic kind of snaps back. It's never the same. It's always got a different geography. It's always got a different physicality after being stretched that far, but it mostly comes back. And that's why most people I know recommend don't make any uh significant decisions in your life the day after a psychedelic experience, but give it you know a couple of weeks or thirty days, because you'll find that you know it's not about forgetting everything that you do. It's not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's about throwing everything out with the baby out with the bathwater, and that's okay. But for most people, it's like, oh, you know what? I'm actually not that far from getting what I need. I'm not. I'm not quite there, but. You know, it's just a shift in how I approach my relationship with my spouse or how I deal with my kids or how I deal with my boss or what I'm working on. It's not a 180 degree turn. It's just usually a one or two degree thing that makes a big difference. Now, the important thing is that one or two degree difference doesn't mean you're going to be satisfied in that realm for your entire life. But the same is true about making a 180 degree turn. You're also not going to be totally satisfied going exactly the opposite direction but it gives you the space to be like, okay, now I know what it feels like to f- feel fulfilled and, and happy or content. Um, and I may get jarred off that, but at least I know it now. I can go back to it and know it helps me understand when I'm, oh, yeah, that feels right. I'm on the right path again. This feels natural, right? And and so, um, we see a lot of that, we see a lot of that, and and people still come back to, right? Which is to say, life happens, people die marriages end, you get fired, company closes, like there's always going to be things that come up. So it's all about a process of really trying to, you know, the way I describe it, recognize that we're all constantly waking up from the stories we tell ourselves. And as soon Mm -hmm. as one story ends, you have the freedom to start a new story. Um, and, uh, and, and so there's still a, a lot of power and a lot of work, you know, therapy, I believe is a lifelong commitment. Personal growth is a lifelong commitment. Um, and, and so anytime you need just a leg up, you know, or a, a deep dive, it, it's always here for you. And, uh, and so we see a lot of that. We see a lot of that, and sometimes people just need like a control alt delete thing. Like I needed a break. I needed two days not thinking about this. Now that I have that space. I'm actually really happy, but I was just too deep in the weeds. So there, there's no single standard story, um, but we do see that almost everybody benefits from it.
0: Yeah, I, I like the, I like the language that you're using. It I think it makes it it makes it accessible, and and, and I'm always curious. Th- you know, for, for our listeners now that are, that, that are wondering, what's it like, what does it feel like? What's the experience like? What is, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard to describe. It's maybe unfair to try to encapsulate, you know, a, a psychedelic experience like, like with ketamine or with, you know, psilocybin or, or, or LSD. But if you could, if, if you could maybe do your best to, to describe what is the actual experience like for people? We won't hold you to it.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's trying to f the ineffable, um, as I like to say.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> Feel free to use it. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> so, th- the best the best analogy I can give is that people can relate to it is, you know, those moments when you're kind of in between awakeness and falling asleep, there's a few minutes when you're still conscious, you're still realize you're in your body, but dream states have started to take over and, and everything is getting fuzzy and colorful and moving and you're not entirely in control. You can pull yourself out at any point. You could sit up, but you're starting to let go of consciousness. That, to me is what most psychedelic experiences feel like. You're in that liminal state in between waking and sleeping. Certainly ketamine can be in that for me. Ket- when I'm in that dr- semi-dream state, the experiences I've, I'm having are very conscious in that. It's like, oh, there's people and there's my dog and there's plants and, and, and there's my work. and so like I'm still very much in the constructs that I understand in the conscious mind. When I've had ketamine experiences, it's a little bit more abstract or artistic. It's colors, its shapes, its feelings, its emotions. It's not quite as tangible as as a dream state. Um, but that's the kind of feeling. you're just loose and everything feels easy uh, and safe is is the way I would describe these experiences by and large Th-
0: that's that in between wakefulness and sleep is how I often describe the uh the flotation tank experience is it you're and 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 you would probably agree with me that that meditation feels like that as well it's like you're semi-conscious you're kind of aware your your self-consciousness your ego is is taking the back seat to being present and accepting that which is and i think So few people have felt that in such a long time. You know, imagine, you know, you're sleeping in on a Sunday morning and not waking up to your alarm. The sun is out, the birds are chirping, and and you're describing that sort of state where you're just kind of starting to wake up and it feels so good. It feels calm. Your body feels good. That, I think a lot of us are missing that. I think a lot of us, maybe it's been decades since we felt that level of peace and so i i really love the way that you've characterized that and i and uh, I, I yeah i just i dig that i think i think that people you know we live in a fast-paced world we there's a lot of stimuli especially the last couple of you know, years have been so wonky that that to have just a a, a moment of peace and stillness
1: that's exactly what it is and, and actually i like the extension of the analogy that you offered there which is lying in a comfortable bed like there's a softness that goes with it right it's just like it's just at ease it's warmth it's comfort it's it's um it's freeing you know and and it, it's funny that everybody people's most resistance to psychedelic experience is like oh i don't want to give up control when in fact exactly what you need mm-hmm. in that moment is to give up control mm-hmm. right um, and, and it's so funny that uh the you know I, i'm a big believer that um what, i wrote this down once and i almost forget it the biggest mistake we make in life is thinking that we're in control and, and and the biggest fallacy is that we think we'd want control even if we could have it uh, and the truth is is like the whole experience of psychedelics or meditation or flow tanks is giving up control mm and realizing how blissful that actually feels yeah
0: letting go and and when you get to that point you know when you get to that point you forgot a lot of times people forget that they can feel that way and when you can when you're reminded that oh i can feel this way i maybe haven't felt this way since i was 12 years old and i i now have a reference point consciously to this feeling that I've that I haven't felt in decades and decades, it's it's life affirming. It's this, oh my gosh, I I can be okay. I have a connection point to this experience in my consciousness where I feel like everything is okay and I'm held and calm and peaceful, and that 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 can change the trajectory of your life in a massive way when you know that you can get to that place where where things are all right and. And the world needs more of that.
1: Yeah. My, my friend, Steve, uh, my friend, Stephen Austin, they run the Endfold Institute uh, just off of Vancouver. Um, and, and they talk about how it's all about learning how to remember, uh, learning how to remember that feeling or those experiences of being like, oh, I was once just okay with things the way they were. And I didn't have to be somewhere uh, or go somewhere or do something, and it's it's nice. And, and we forget that quite a bit uh, as adults.
0: Yeah, this feeling of being rather than doing. You know, we we are human beings. We are not human doings. <laughs> you know, you you're okay just the way you are, just the way you were born. It's all right. You know. Yeah. Um. You mentioned, and I di- I didn't catch the name or remember the. It didn't didn't ring a bell for me. But I'm curious about what sort of technological, um, enhancements or tracking, you know, I'm thinking about like brain mapping or, you know, the, the Apollo neuro or these other sort of technical devices, uh, biohacking equipment that, that, that you think whether you're using them now or, or, or that you maybe have your eyeball on that, that might enhance, uh, uh the experience or even the, the outcomes afterward.
1: Yeah, we don't use a lot at field trip. Um, I'm very much into all these different devices. I've never bought the Apollo Neuro uh, thing. I'm always tempted by it, but then uh, I, I'm always like, Jesus, four hundred bucks is a big price tag, so I always back off of it. Um, I do wear a, a Whoop strap. Um, I like that because it kind of collects all this data and presents it in a coherent kind of here's where you are today in terms of your stress levels and all that kind of stuff. And we did partner with, although we never really got it off the ground about helping people track in that way. Um, because in, in many ways you can start to see the patterns that affect you positively and negatively. You now, some of them are out of your control. I've got young kids. And so the odds of me sleeping through the night any given night are pretty low, the best of times, and that's going to have an impact on how I feel the next day. Um, but all those other things about, Drinking, what you eat, when you go to bed, all that kind of stuff. You start to it, it starts to become a, a useful reflection. Um, that's really all we've looked at right now. I know there's um, the Muse headband is a is a powerful tool as well. I'm I'm in Toronto and Muse is a, a Toronto-based company, um, which can help you more consciously help. Get yourself into a, a meditative state where different brave waves are operating, and it can also give you positive feedback in terms of how you're responding to it. Um, I think that can be a great tool. I know I've never done um, biofeedback uh, or neurofeedback personally, um, but I think from what I've heard, that can be very impactful as well. But uh, that's it. You know, the truth is, in, in many ways, I've become. A little bit anti technology mm-hmm. in this regard because all of a sudden people start getting anxious about making sure that their whoop score is in the green for right. the day and all that kind of stuff, which actually defeats the purpose in the first okay. place. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, bec- I'm, I, I just read an article, uh, can't remember which media outlet yesterday, about how Gen Zers are giving up their smartphones, at least on evenings and weekends when they go partying and taking an old school Nokia flip phone that has text messaging and phone call and nothing else um, because they like being disconnected because they like not having pictures being posted to social in the moment and all that kind of stuff. And maybe I sound curmudgeonly, but I'm totally getting to that point as well, which is like, does it really enable or enhance my life very much being always on like this? And the answer I keep coming back to is, not really being able to hail a cab with a push of a button is great. Being able to open a maps function with a push of a button is fantastic. So you're always, you can always find where you are. just about everything else I don't need. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm always, always tempted to, to go to like one of those dumb phones or the, yeah. you know, kind of thing. I haven't made the leap yet, but it, it is super tempting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it's, I, I mean, I think it's, it's still, still early days. I, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to, to to track outcomes and to understand, you know, the whoop strap example t- to understand how does how does a ketamine experience change your heart rate variability over the course of the next three months? You know, how does it change your the the, the level of REM sleep you get? You know, I think that that's useful data, but as I've always said, it's only useful if it makes a change. It, it's only useful if it if it improves your life. You know, if it becomes an obsession point. Uh, then it's probably a diminishing return. I just want to plug Apollo really quick just because it is worth every penny. I, I'm using it right now. I'm on the clear and open setting. I, you I think you would absolutely love it. I was i'm i'm'm I'm, I'm, okay. I'm a skeptic at heart, and uh, I, I like to I like to try and experiment with lots of different things, and I've got tons of biohacking equipment, but the Apollo is, it's 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 everything they that they say it is so I you know it, probably worth definitely worth checking out um okay what is what's 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 the big vision what's the big mission for field trip let's say snap your fingers and legalization happens everywhere or at least you know at least in in, in north america or, or or maybe the world and and the the development of of protocols and access accesses to these to these molecules and these experiences just like the the gates fly open. What what do you see? What do you see as the future for Field Trip?
1: Sure, um, I, there's two ways to answer that. One is from a business perspective, and one is kind of from a philosophical perspective. And so the latter for the from the philosophical perspective is uh, our brand is, is really about permission, which is giving people permission to lean in a little bit more. If you know nothing or a little bit curious, lean in. If you're beyond curious and want to have an experience, lean in if you're you know depending on wherever you are we want to encourage people to lean in and give people permission to be like oh i want to explore this um uh that that really is what field trip stands for so even if the floodgates open tomorrow Most people in the US and Canada come close to touching this stuff because of all the programming that we've got indoctrinated it with over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And that sounds like conspiracy theory. And it's absolutely not. This is well documented that all of this stuff was made up from, for political agenda purposes and the science that they relied on was dubious. Um, And so from my perspective, you know, we'll achieve our goal if more and more people are like, yeah, I'd like to learn more. Maybe I don't, have an experience. Maybe that's a step too far, but I'm open to it. I'm open to learning or I'm open to having my friends do this kind of stuff. That's, that's the philosophical achievement for, for me, for field trip. From a business perspective, you know, right now, we're just trying to continue scaling up. Um, we've got our nine locations that are are growing uh, and reaching more people and creating more impact. We just launched our freedom and general therapy programs. So continuing to execute on that it would be amazing to um, you know be one of the first providers to provide legal MDMA assisted therapy uh, to people when maps gets approval which is expected to happen early next year um, you know and 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 beyond that just continue to build a, a community I, again you know we talk about psychedelics from the perspective of mental health and and there's a lot of reasons to talk about it from that perspective but to me the more interesting part is, the pro-social side effects of psychedelics, the increased creativity, the increased empathy, the increased connection, the increased regard for the planet. It's the, these are the qualities I'm more interested in, in helping to perpetuate. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, anything we can do to continue to advance that we'll, we'll continue to do. But in the meantime, it's really about just building the, the infrastructure necessary. So people who want to do this have a, a safe comfortable trusted space that they can go to um, and not have any concerns beyond you know everyone's going to be a little bit uncomfortable with the drugs but uh, not everyone most people um but if we can take away all the other issues so people feel fully safe fully held fully you know um supported then uh, we'll have done our job at field trip
0: hmm. do you see the path forward including insurable experiences is that a big part of this is that is that an important part of this is it everything
1: yeah uh, absolutely um because most people unlike most i mean in most of the civilized world uh medicine and access to care is actually within reach for most people it's only in the u.s that really fucks things up uh, when it comes to access to health care not exclusively but it's definitely a, a big sticking point um And so in, I say that from the perspective of the cost of most medicines is in the medicine in the U S they charge an absolute goddamn fortune for drugs. Like I I bought drugs in Canada that cost me $10 or like $400 Mm -hmm. when I if I've had to get them in the U S it's just, it's mind blowing. Um, But the cost in psychedelics is not the drugs. You know, we're talking about genericized drugs. MDMA was synthesized in the 1930s. Psilocybin has been used for thousands of years. Um, So you don't have that IP gouging associated with the drugs in the psychedelic space. The cost associated with it is because you have qualified professionals who have master's degrees, PhDs, years and years of training, spending 15 20 40 60 hours with you around an experience that time is expensive you know if you need to pay people for their expertise even if they're not gouging um you know these people have to make a living and that's where the cost of psychedelic therapies Mm. really lies uh and and there's no way to at least right now to eliminate that you need people um and so insurance coverage i think will go a long way because to the extent that your therapy is already covered by your insurance coverage then adding a relatively inexpensive drug to a therapy protocol, which is what psychedelic assisted therapies really are. Um, shouldn't it shouldn't change the cost structure very, very much, um, but it covers the cost of the people. And, and I think that will go a long way to enabling
0: access. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that's that's you're right. Um, I, I, I agree with that, and I like that a lot because people are sensitive because people are in altered states of consciousness and need to be held and guided you know in sacred space and and even given a roadmap if they're going to be doing it at home with their with their spouse or whatever sort of sitting with them that 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 takes some time and some thought to put together and yeah i've never really heard it described like that um What what have I not asked? What what's one thing that you really want to share, or that you really are are passionate about that I that I haven't touched on yet?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. One is uh, as as you mentioned, you know, people doing at home, you know, with your spouse or whatever. Uh, I do have a book coming out called "The Ketamine Breakthrough" uh, with my colleague here at Field Trip, Doctor Mike Dow, uh, which is really about being the the essential guide to ketamine assisted therapy, you know, for either therapist or even for clients just to know what to expect, know the science, know the protocols and practices to make it really, really a positive experience. So I'm going to shamelessly plug that uh, for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the thing is, is, uh, you know, I think the most important part of this conversation is just, you know, opening yourself up to, to experience one of the, we have, we have a podcast here at Field Tripping at a house called Field Tripping. In one of the most memorable moments, and, and we've had some fantastic, fantastic guests, but one of them was a, a guy named Julian, who was a producer for the CBC, who came in and went through the program without telling us uh, with an intent to do a documentary on it. Mm. And he came on the podcast afterwards and he was very much a skeptic, um, you know, experiencing depression, the, the, the state of the world constantly weighing on him. And, um, you know, by the end of the conversation, I got him to admit that the experience gave him, at least briefly, a belief that maybe not is all that it seems, that maybe there's possibility that aren't directly in front of you that do exist. And that subtle shift changed everything for him. You know, I could totally nerd out on, on as, as best I can, not actually being a physicist, but it's so interesting how the conversation around quantum physics and psychedelics and spirituality are now heading for a collision course in yeah. so many ways. And we, we did a Instagram live with um, our medical director in the U S Dr. Randy Sherlock. And he was talking about how um, in, in quantum physics and entanglement things can travel faster than the speed of light, which is a violation of Einsteinian physics, right? And it's generally accepted that uh, in the universe, in physicality, the speed of light is a limit. So how is this possible? And Randy's answer was, because it's operating outside of physicality. And it's like, oh, uh-huh. You know, and and then you start nerding out on that, which is like you start reading uh, Don Feldman's The Case Against Reality and all that kind of stuff, and you see that physics, science is starting to strongly suggest that what we experience as space time, our four dimensions that we live our entire lives are, is not a complete picture of the universe. And now we don't know how to measure it. It's so outside of our imaginations that. Most scientists scoff at it. Most skeptics scoff at it, but more and more, it's becoming harder and harder to ignore the fact that there's a there out there that we can't comprehend. Um, And this is what I find so fascinating. The possibility, letting people open up to that possibility, I think for so many people uh, is game-changing. I just had Jamie wheel on, on our podcast. And he wrote a book called recapture the rapture. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's fantastic. Um, But it talks about how we had meaning 1.0, which was religion, which was really good about giving people a sense of meaning and purpose, but very divisive, and a lot of war and death resulted. And then we flip to meaning 2.0, which is neoliberalism, which is, you know, very inclusive by and large imperfect, but much more inclusive, but gives people no meaning. You know, we just become consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're starting to hit the limits of neoliberalism as people are like, yeah, this is kind of unsatisfying. Yeah. You know, I've done all the right things. I got the job, I got the car, I got the money, I did all this thing. And, and, and now what? And so he talks about how we need to get into meaning 3.0 and All of this is by way of saying, that's really what I'm interested in. This is the opportunity that we have. And I think psychedelics are a great way to create the space to start writing Meaning 3.0, whatever that is. However we want to set up our societies to work a little bit differently because attempt one and attempt two served a purpose, but they've run out of gas by and large. And so now we have a pretty cool opportunity sitting where we are in history to change the course once more and, um, that's the stuff I get really excited about. And that's it. the reason I'm interested in psychedelics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I have it right here. I want to prove it to you. I want to prove it to you. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. I'm reading it currently. Um, yeah, it, it, consciousness is unmeasurable, right? We can't, we can't quantify it. And all of these things that we can't quantify, like love, like, uh, like consciousness, like, um. You know, ecstasy. These these things are, and have always been, the most paramount things in our lives. Emotions, right? You could you could point to neurochemicals to try to try to ex- explain. All oh, that's just oxytocin, and it's just it's insufficient anymore. And I and I think that more and more people are waking up to that reality that there is more to life you know i think about you know i've got young kids too and i think about what their life is going to be like what their what their values are going to be like what what's going to be most interesting to them as they grow into adulthood and it's you know it's it's experience it's relationship it's love it's consciousness and it's going to take hard work from you and i to 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 set the table for them because from that place of putting a premium on connection and love and consciousness and you know some of the more mystical and esoteric experiences of that that are when you when you ask people who are near the end of their life what are the most important things it was like it was a relationship it was a feeling i had when i was around my spouse or you know my best friends like that's the stuff that matters um i'll I'll kind of dovetail that into another conversation because i i just think it's kind of interesting you know let's say you you do a, a, an amazing job at uh, at growing field trip and providing experiences and safe spaces for people to to grow and change and evolve. One thing that that I have been thinking about a lot lately and that I, that, I, that I honestly struggle with is is how to position this with my kids and and how to talk about the, some of the work that I do that is not always <laughs> out in the open. you know, it's 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 being it's being done quietly and discreetly. And, and so I wonder what, because I don't, I, am not a fan of, of my kids smoking weed until they're 20 plus, you know, with their prefrontal cortex isn't developed 25, right? Like, you know, it's not a good idea. I, I waited until I was about, you know, 19 before I, you know, smoked cannabis for the first time. And I think that it helped me a lot. Um, as I, as we move forward culturally where psychedelics are more accepted as as tools uh, not only to heal trauma and and anxiety and depression and and to support people but also just because they're great just because they're fun and interesting and they and they expand our coconut a little bit i wonder about how this is positioned these altered states of consciousness that are currently illegal and how we talk about it with 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 youth and the zoomers right now who are in high school who are glued to their phones and bugged out on TikTok and their attention spans are shortening and what they could really use is a little break and a little bit of peace and a little bit of time. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder about how, how you think culturally we can position this to younger people in a, in a, in a thoughtful way that doesn't get too squirrely.
1: I, that's a good question. Um,
0: You don't have to have the answer either. That's okay.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm just going to offer the insights I have, which is, I do feel like the generation that's coming after us is more sensitive, more aware. Like I even see it in my six-year-old and three-year-old kids. They're just attuned differently to the world than I think our generation, I don't know how old you are, but we're probably of comparable age, um, was. And so I think some of it's going to happen naturally. I think I always get squirrely around the word, you know, sacred or ceremony. Like it just, it creates, there's too much baggage around those words and I hate it, but I think intentionality, you know, being conscious about this, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish. we uh, grew up Jewish I'm not much of a practicing Jew by any stretch, but you know, every, I had a bar mitzvah at 13 years old and I think it would have been way cooler to have a very intentional psychedelic experience. Like that really would have been Mm. a spiritual kind of stepping off point. And and so you just attach, you know, respect. I think those are the words, intentionality, respect, and, and conscious consideration to all of these. At the same time, you know, I I expect it's not a perfect answer, but the people who smoke tons and tons and tons of weed, you know, as teens or drink and drink and drink and drink as teens, you know, some of that's going to be natural, just that's how you grow up. But some of that, a lot of those kids are, you know, trying to compensate for something mm. and the more conscious we can be as parents the more we can give our kids the things that we didn't get because their parents were told told to be stiff and stern or, or whatever the case may be I think hopefully we'll see less and less reliance on you know those those substances as uh, vices of escape and, and more to be used as as something intentional that's my hope at least um, but, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was driving with my six year old and he was sitting in the back seat and out of nowhere. He's like, "Dad, when I grow up, I want to work in psychedelics." And I'm like, that's great, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, there's a there's a real conversation that needs to go in,
0: yeah, sure. yeah, I mean, when when I went to Wonderland uh, in Miami, November, and you know, my nine and six year old were asking, like, well, what were you doing there? Who were you talking to? What were you talking about? It's like it's talking about, Ways that people heal and grow that are that that are um, that include taking substances to to shift your perspective and to grow and to to collaborate with others. You know, it's you know really future facing ways to help humanity continue to evolve in in a conscious way. (laughs) Like, well, what, what? Okay, you know, take take a minute to to you know recognize that and let that you know sink in a little bit. You know, and am in in my network. I know a number of um, of uh, curaderos, um both both in Peru and um, in the United States and in Canada as well. And it's fascinating to see how they talk uh, about the work that they do with their children and the the sort of demystifying. The work that they do and healing people and using different compounds, you know, tobacco or hoppe or, you know, the vine itself, the the actual ayahuasca brew to to help people heal, to help people grow, very open about it. And and I admire that and also um, reverence, conscious. Thoughtful. Those are those terms. I think make a lot of sense to me, and I think that that they're more accessible for the skeptics among among us who, you know, the thought of, um, the thought of a a a deeply entrenched experience that's like steeped in, you know, indigenous culture. When you're a white guy in Seattle, it's like. It doesn't need to be that. It and and certainly, you know, ketamine itself is doesn't have that indigenous history. It's not. It's not a sacred plant, right? And and so, using the tools that we have to help people grow and talking about them like like grown ups, uh, and honestly, I think is is just something that I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> That's funny. Your six year old said you want he wants to work in psychedelics. That's great.
1: I'm so, I I love it you know as long as we can bestow an intentionality to it which is you know I I think one of the challenges we face is I hate using the word industry, but I'll call it as an industry is, and, and Brahm, uh, who's a VC in the space. I don't know if you met Brahm at Wonderland. Mm-hmm. I think he was down there uh, tweeted about it. And he's like, it's only in the psychedelic industry where you can go to a conference from 9am to 5pm and be told repeatedly that psychedelics are strong drugs and they need to be respected and they need to be done in the proper setting and setting. And literally two minutes after five, you walk out the door and someone's like, Hey, you want to hit on my DMT vape pen? <laughs> yeah. um, and it's like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. We're, we're still figuring it out. We're all still figuring it out. Uh, but I think we're headed in the right general direction. So yeah. I feel good
0: about that. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, that was, it was an interesting, just looking at, looking at people's pupils uh, in Miami at Wonderland was, <laughs> was, was great people watching. And I'm sure people were watching me as well, thinking the same thing um well this is oh for sure this has been such such a great conversation and and and, and, I, and i'm i'm very grateful that we were able to have this conversation and focus on field trip you know the services that you provide and the resources that you're working on that that, that have yet to come and also dive into this, the philosophical a little bit i think that that it, it's been a really meaningful conversation um before i ask the last question which is a fill in the blank question uh, where can people find more where can they follow you and where would you send them on the internet?
1: Sure. Uh, if you want to learn more about field trip, Fieldtriphealth.com is our uh, website and our socials are field trip health. Um, my socials are Ronan D. Levy D as in David uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I don't post a lot to Instagram, but I'm more active on Twitter. Um, that's where you can find me. Um, and those are two good places to start or LinkedIn as well so you can also find me on
0: wonderful okay so here's the the last question and this can be based on any anything in, in your experience in your life it doesn't have to be you know specific to field trip or, or ketamine or the work you're doing now uh, you can elaborate as much or as little as you wish but please fill in the blank everyone would benefit from knowing everyone would
1: benefit from knowing that there's more to life than meets the eye. And that is coming from a person who was a very stern skeptic. Um, I used to liken myself to a way that Mark Twain was once described as a stern foe of all sham, uh, and I still adhere to uh, that value proposition. But the more I've started to let in possibility, um, the more I've opened myself up to experience, just being open to it, not necessarily believing, just being open to experience, the more rich the, the my life has become, the more ease I've had uh, and the less fearful I am. And so I think there's a lot to just letting go and, and leaping into the dance of reality.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Well said. Ronan, thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for uh, making the time and, and tolerating all of the scheduling conflicts and technical issues we had to get here.